Welcome back to the Took of the Twine podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Bellman. We've got a great episode set up for you guys this week. Um, we're about through just about uh, three weeks of the season so far here in the NBA. It's been a great three weeks. Um, we've got good games just about every night. We've got great performances consistently. Um, we've got this period. I, I love the first couple weeks. You know, I'm I'm a big League Pass fan. I'm always um, watching basically as many games as I can in the night. Um, I rewatch games that I, I missed from the night because I'm on the East Coast in the mornings and stuff like that. And, you know, these first couple weeks, oh, this first month, it's just like kind of like intake, 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 watching as much as possible, watching as much as possible um, before we kind of get into the grind of the season. Um, and we're still we'll, we're still kind of in that period. We're still in that figuring out um, where teams stand, what everybody looks like how we're going to play, um, and just kind of getting to know each teams and what teams are like um, for the season as we proceed. Um, and I think this first dance is always super exciting in that way. You know, we can, we're going to always get some weird outcomes in the first couple of weeks. We get to see some teams go on good runs, who's real, who's not. And I think we're seeing a lot of that play out um, currently. You know, we still got a ton of teams that may or may not be for real um, towards the top of the standings. You know, the Phoenix Suns are still pretty high up there, which is great. Um, but we're now getting to the point we're close to 10 games in where maybe um, some of these teams that we're seeing towards the top, you know, maybe this is closer to being indicative of what we are to expect from them for the rest of the season rather than this just being an early season blip. Um, and kind of seeing how that performance is going to play itself along, um, down the road. We're, continue, we're seeing teams kind of set up what we expect from them the rest of the season, whether they're defense-focused, offense-focused, they're a balanced team. Um and we're getting a little bit of everything going um, as we progress. And, you know, obviously with the NBA, um, as we get into things, we've got drama, we've got excitement, we've got stories. And that's what we're here to talk about this week on the Tick of the Twine. Um, no guests this week. It's just going to be me, uh, Ryan Solo. Um, got a lot of crazy stuff going on over here at Tickle the Twine, and that's p- part of it. Um, we've got some exciting news to share at the end of the podcast rather than a um, hot take that I'm going to go with but let's jump right into it with the starting five and we're going to start with number one um it's kind of been a hot topic for the last week um and it's this whole debate over load management and it got sparked off once again the clippers got scheduled for back-to-back this week uh, they played the bucks wednesday night and then played the blazers thursday night both games were on national tv um it was Kawhi's prerogative last season with the raptors to sit out one game of the back-to-back it seems to be, uh, so far, the Clippers have been pretty clear that that's also was going to be how they handled things for him this season. And so um, we knew this was going to come in, come to a head with this game set this week, and sure enough, it did. Um, Kawhi chose, or the Clippers chose, to have Kawhi sit out and not play um, the first game against the Bucks. Now, this obviously stirred up some controversy. This was the game that was on ESPN, so the larger network, the larger viewing audience. This was a game against the Milwaukee Bucks. Kawhi famously dueled Giannis last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. He took the Raptors to the NBA Finals. Um, you could say outplayed Giannis. It was pretty close. They both played pretty well down the stretch of the series. And I would make an argument that the series was swung on different things versus their matchup. Um, and that that's pretty pointed out if you watch the series and look at the stats um, regarding what exactly happened, how that played out. So, but given all that... Um, it, it, anyway, it turned into this whole thing. Doris Burke weighed in about how he should be playing more. We've got 
the old heads, um, guys who played in the 80s and 90s weighing in, coaches weighing in, all have this whole perspective on whether it makes players and coaches, um, how this should be handled, if players are softer nowadays, if the game is softer. I've seen a lot of people just tweet videos of like cheap shots in the 80s, like people just getting like punched or just like clotheslines and being like, this is how real basketball was played, like normal players can't the players nowadays can't handle this i don't see how a bunch of cheap shots and like fights is relevant to the load management issue and if you think it is then you might be watching the wrong sport my guy but either way um this also picked up off of the whole debate that's going on with um the knicks and damon fisdale playing rj barrett in multiple like 40 minutes plus in blowouts you know even though they're getting blown out he leaves them out there for 40 plus minutes a lot of guys, especially Atlanta analytics-inclined guys, making the argument, hey, don't need to be doing this. He doesn't need to be out there for that long, um, at least in blowouts. Just doesn't need those miles on him. And, and obviously, this is a point of pretty pretty big contention in the basketball community. Um, you know, it, it could be another place where the analytics people fight against the traditionalists or whoever you want to call people who don't believe in analytics. Um, or, you know, the use of information to drive decision-making, which is what analytics is. But I think what we get into here is, um, you know, you've got, a, I think, I think there's more than just one side. Cause I've definitely heard people argue, well, the NBA at the beginning and at the wholesale is a entertainment product and they need to take that into account. And I was like, and like, sure, that's the NBA's job to take into account, but that's not the team's job the team is not an entertainment product like if you were the go you know if you're steve balmer and you're doc rivers and you're Kawhi leonard your decision making process is not based on the entertainment product you're putting on your floor your decision making product process is based on the goal of winning a championship and winning the most games during the season and that's the strategy they're taking um the the rest in the injury management program or load management however you want to phrase it it doesn't really matter that they've got Kawhi on is based on what he did last year that even though he was limping in the playoffs let him play through the finals and drove the Raptors to a victory it's seen that it was proven that it was was um able to get them a victory last season and so doing it again and being strict and adhering to it makes sense um you know it's more I think the the situation this week is more based on a tough scheduling situation if you're going to schedule a back-to-back and both are on national tv you are now putting them in this place where they have to decide which network or which game to you know slight or whatever but they were ultimately going to decide to slight one of them they they, they've made this clear that he's not going to play in back-to-back so the so the idea that they were somehow going to make an exception is is difficult um and i think that's where we run into this tough stuff um here um, the way I come down on it um, is that I think load management, stuff like this, is great. Um, you have to make the best decision to keep your players healthy. You know, the arguments that I hear like, oh, but this means he's not out there for longer. You know, we don't see him as much. He plays less games. Well, he might play less games per season, but this is about extending the length of his career, letting him play more games in the playoffs, also letting him play better and more effectively when he does play. And I think that's an important thought process here, too. You know, this isn't just we're taking away games from his total amount. We're taking away games in the short term so that long term he might have more. And also long term, his effectiveness, his ability, his prime might be prolonged. And we might be seeing more of our of, of 
Kawhi Leonard, and this should be applied for a lot of stars and a lot of stars as they age or if they deal with chronic injuries. Kawhi's knee injury is is chronic. It's something that he's going to deal with for the rest of his career, and so an aggressive strategy like this is required um, in order to keep him healthy and to keep him playing at the top at, at the top of his game for the longest time possible, which should be the ultimate goal. Um, uh, so I think that, you know, that's kind of me coming back at, at that argument. Another argument, obviously, is that old, you know, their c- coaches and players from the 80s and 90s are like, we used to play all 82, all 82 games or most of the 82 games. We used to play more minutes. You know, we didn't complain about it. This wasn't a thing for us then. It's like, okay, fair point. Yep, you're right. You guys played more minutes. Sure. Played 82 games. You know, Michael Jordan was famous for saying he told his players, you're expected to play um, all 82 games. That's what you get paid to play, you know, that kind of stuff. All right, that's a fair stance to take, Michael. Um, Michael Jordan famously retired three times because of burnout. Um, he, uh, the end of his career when, when he, was when the Wiz- with, he was with the Wizards was famously, um, like, hastened. His, his final retirement was brought along faster because he refused to do the correct rehab and take the time to come back and, and make sure his knees were in the right shape to stay on the court. So, you know, you can take it or leave, leave that there, but like this, 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 this idea or this facet that you just got to tough through it and just like, almost like, it's like banging your head against the wall or like, um, you know, like just skull bashing and just like forcing your way through a tough situation, even when there's so much evidence and contrary, it just, it's just not something we need to, we need to continue to do. A lot of the, in, in the eighties and nineties, yeah, you might have played more minutes, but the game was played at significantly, it was, it was played it was less difficult to play. And what I mean by that is you did less total running. Offensive required less movement. So on offense, you're not running around as much. You're not cutting as much. You're not screening as much. On defense, you you have to guard your man to, because the offenses are moving less, you have to move less as a defender. You can stand more often around. Um, there was more free throws shot in the 80s and 90s. Thus, more time to rest during games while free throws are getting shot. These these things might seem small, but they're but they're they're significant. They're extremely significant. You can and this isn't just a statistical thing. Now there are stats that back this up. One specific one is, if you look at the player tracking data that uh, the NBA has been tracking with sports view uh, cameras for a couple years now, um, or like six, seven, eight years of it now, um, NBA and the average NBA player right now, you know, last season, this season. For every 48 minutes of game time that he plays, he, on average, runs the length of the floor, 94 feet, nine times more than the average NBA player did in 48 minutes five years ago. So if we we, 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 we take that number and extrapolate that amount of running and how the game has changed and progressed just in these past five years, and then think about that for the 20 and 30 and 40 years that we've seen since the you know 70s 80s 90s you can see how much of the wear and tear on the bodies um can come into play here and why load management has to be a good idea you can be like oh don't throw those numbers at me brooks um you have to watch the games to understand if you watch them no they played harder they, they didn't go back and watch the games you know um i am younger that's true you know i was born in the 90s but i have gone back and watched 80s and 90s games and it's not just looking up highlights of people fighting each other um, or giving each other cheap shots because that's not good intense defense. That's just fighting each other or fouling each other. 
watch these games, there's not nearly the intensity of running around, of staying engaged, of heavy rotations, heavy movement, you know, getting up and down the court fast, of just this vascular load of just pushing yourself to the to the to the limits of your physical ability consistently that there is nowadays for guys of of all calibers and especially someone like Kawhi who's going to be a primary creator on offense he's going to take the 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 toughest defensive assignment on the other end and he's got to push his body every single time he's out there because he's going to he's got to do that um now this isn't to say that it wasn't tough to play in the nba in the 80s and 90s it's just so much more it requires so much more exertion physical output you know vascular load all this stuff that we know more about nowadays and that's why this load management comes into play and just keeping guys you know healthy and making sure that we have them longer and they're at their peak physical condition when they're out there and, and that's what this is about um when it comes to stuff like the rj barrett situation you know when Fisdale says like, "Oh, he's young, he can do this," like, well, yeah, but like, the last peop- the last rookies to play, you know, near forty minutes a game were like LeBron in two thousand three, Tim Duncan in the late nineties, and again, I already cited the stat about the running more just five years ago, and all you have to do is ext- extrapolate that t- to understand the increase and in the just putting all that pressure on. On how much, and we've seen with the Knicks even how much one season of just running a player into ground to the ground can destroy their knees. They got Amar Stoudemire, and in the one year between the time that they got Stoudemire and then they got Carmelo, they ran Stoudemire into the ground, playing him so many minutes, so many games, and his knees were never the same. And even though you know he was good when Carmelo got there, he wasn't as good as he could have been if they hadn't ran him into the ground, and if they hadn't taken a more kind of enlightened approach about this. Um, and I think that's that that's what we're kind of trying to push for here. And I think, you know, if you want guys, you want to see guys play more minutes, you want to see guys play more games, then what we need to do is we need to look at solutions that are outside of the NBA. Um, the load on young players as they're coming up with these travel and the AAU ball and, you know, these kids are in 7th, 8th grade, ninth grade, and they're playing 5, 6, 7 games a weekend and 12 weekends in a summer or whatever. It's just, it's a ton and it's on their young growing bodies. It's, it's too much. Um, that's an example. Um, I think we could, you know, shorten the NBA schedule. I've been a big proponent of switching to 72 games. Um, you play everybody twice, then you play the 14 teams in your conference a third time. There you, there you go. That's 72. It's clean. It's easy. It's a quick switch. Why don't we go to that? It cuts 10 games off the top. We'll see less load management. We can eliminate back-to-backs. We see le- less guys sitting out national games. You know, these are, I mean, that's a quick step that the NBA could take right now, and you you got to find a way to make up those gate receipts. I understand that, and that's a big deal um, for the guys who own, own the teams, But but like, if this is if this is going to be the wedge issue for them, then you have to you have to look at solutions that are in front of you and kind of build the solutions where they're at. And I I just think kind of like arguing about you know whether or not players should do this is kind of like again it's it's like the solution of just toughing through things. It's just banging your head against the wall because players are going to do this. They're going to promote their physical health to keep themselves in the best physical condition so they can compete. Because players want to win championships too. They want to be at their best in the playoffs. So it is tough. I get that. Um, I think this idea that like Kawhi should be embarrassed that he's not playing and he should play and he should feel some kind of embarrassment, like, no. Kawhi will play when Kawhi wants to play. That's his choice. That's his decision. The way he, when he feels comfortable, he will do that. And um, we've seen in the past that um, it's worked for him and it's going to work for him more. So 
Um, I applaud him and the Clippers for continuing to stick to their plan and do what they need to do to be successful. And, you know, um, and going forward, I hope more teams kind of take that tact, whether there's an injury or not at play, um, just to make sure that their players are ready to go. But we will uh, move on um, to our starting five point number two um, and kind of wanted to touch in on the John Collins uh, suspension here. Um, we had an episode that we recorded after the first week that, you know, we lost the audio because of some technical difficulties where we talked about the eight and suspension. So kind of can talk about both here for a little bit, but John Collins was suspended 25 games. He tested positive for a growth hormone, rele- growth hormone releasing peptide two. Um, you know, he released a statement didn't mean to, you know, kind of the generic statement we see, but he is the second player to receive it, uh, a suspension. Aiden got a 25 game suspension for, um, testing positive for diuretics which clear out your system and mask your system but um it is interesting to see that this is a signal that the nba is cracking down on peds you know there was an interview from a couple years ago where derrick rose was asked one to ten how what problem what's the problem with peds in the nba he said seven then he kind of walked that back a little bit but his initial answer was seven which kind of is a scary answer um for fans who aren't as big you know what, seven that's a lot you know that's a huge number um that c- could kind of kind of scare people um but you know um it's good i think it's good um it's sad to see guys like john collins and deandre eight and these young players that are coming up in the league and not see them for 25 games which is a, a large chunk of the season um more than a fourth of the season but i'm a big proponent of, of cracking down and being proactive about um, stopping PEDs, you know, I know there's arguments about this, but my thing is, you know, I want to see guys, you know, at peak physical condition, of course, but not, you know, artificially getting to that level with, you know, steroids use and whatnot. I think there is an argument of some, uh, substance use that like helps with recovery, whether it's helping you go to sleep, helping you bounce back. And I'm sure there's, there can be discussions based on that. And there should probably, be um, a worthwhile discussion on that. I know there's an epidemic that the NBA players have said that sleep is a big deal for them. They don't get to sleep and recover as much as they'd like to, and that that plays a big role. Again, another reason why the back-to-back and load management thing is big, and I think that these things all kind of work together. Um, but another angle for this is that usually, especially when it comes to PEDs, uh, you know, the drugs get ahead of the testing. The testing catches up. You see a couple guys. Um, we've seen this in other sports. You, you see a couple guys get caught. They test positive. They, they get suspended. Then suddenly no one's getting caught, and then it happens again. So it's it's this situation where, you know, the drugs outrun the testing ability. The testing catches up, and then the drugs outrun them again, and then the cycle kind of repeats itself. Um, we've seen this a couple times over the years. I think this is this might be another situation of that at play. Um right here and we'll see how it affects going forward will we see more suspensions this year will this mean that uh these are the only two that we'll see um are the drugs already better are there new drugs in the market how will that change going forward and what will that look like it will certainly be interesting um to see uh hopefully uh collins and ayton come back after these 25 games they've learned um we don't see them test positive again um and they both play again and play well this season um, I know they're both appealing to try and get these reduced, likely. Um, we'll see if that happens. I'm not just because of the situation for both of them. I think Collins I think Collins might have a better argument. He might be saying he didn't mean to take that specific 
peptide releasing or hormone releasing peptide and it was in something else he was taking so maybe he has a better argument but still tough i do expect to see them both serve out uh the length the suspensions and then come back but interesting to see if we see anyone else get caught and if there's any bigger names that get caught and suspended going forward on to uh starting five number three uh is the old uh rivalry that the that that uh built the nba um in the 80s back uh both boston and the la lakers are sitting atop the league um as i record this sunday morning they're both at seven and one they both sit one and two when it comes to net rating um boston is top five in both offense and defense the lakers are quite uh up there in offense but they are the number one defense in the league um Boston has done most of their damage with a pretty balanced offensive attack. Um, they've got four guys, Jason Tatum, Campbell Walker, Gordon Hayward, and Jalen Brown, all averaging 18 or more, with Tatum and Kemba both averaging 21 or more. Um, they've looked good uh, this year. They're moving the ball a little bit more. They're not stopping the ball. They're being more active. We're seeing Marcus Smart do his Marcus Smart thing. Cantor has looked fine. Their younger guys, Grant Williams, looks has looked good. Carson Edwards has had his moments. The Time Lord, Robert Williams, has had his moments. Um, and they just kind of look more like the uh, the young pre-Kyrie Celtics um, that we saw, um, where they're just kind of all they're sharing the ball a little bit more. Everyone's having more opportunities, and they're taking advantage of those opportunities. And as such, they're kind of more cohesive as a team and been better. Um, we did see Hayward uh, get diagnosed with a broken hand. He looks like he's going to be out a little bit of time. Um, we'll talk about a little bit uh, that a little bit more later, um, which will be tough, and we'll see how that sets them back. Um, just kind of given the the four man attack there, you know, four guys averaging eighteen is a pretty solid line to have, and so losing one of them, how Boston adjusts, how they handle that. If we see both their offense and their defense taking declines, but but it's been great. Um, to see Hayward be good, you know, he's he's re- he's returned back to kind of his form, his pre-leg injury form. We're seeing him attack more off of dynamic plays, less than static, coming off cuts, you know, DHOs, stuff like that. Getting the ball while he's moving and kind of attacking the basket or getting an open shot. Um, but it's kind of great to see him doing better and more and more. On the other side, um, the Lakers have looked extremely great. Um, Frank Vogel, known for his defenses in Indiana, has the Lakers... Defense looking superb. Um, LeBron specifically has looked really, really good. Um, the last couple of years, LeBron has looked at times maybe disinterested on the defensive end, especially during the regular season. He looks a lot better um, this season so far. He's made some great defensive plays. Um, Anthony Davis also looks dominant. Um, LeBron and AD have, when uh, the Lakers offense, which hasn't been great, slows down. They do have the old the reliable option to just kind of spread the floor and let LeBron and AD go to work in a pick and roll. Usually a lot of times it happens on the left side just because AD likes working off the left block so they can pick and roll. They don't have anything. AD posts up, dropping into AD, kind of go from there. Um, we, we've seen them do that a lot. So their offense is still kind of struggling to get off the ground. Um, AD and LeBron are like the only two guys scoring in double figures. They might have one other person scoring in uh, double figures, which is tough. Um, but they are, you know, you expect them to figure, figure it out going forward. Um, yeah, Avery Bradley is also scoring in double figures, but only at 10.4. They have Danny Green at 9.8, and Kuzma's only at 9, in his, his, but he's only played a couple games so far. 
Um, so they're going to need more from their bench. You know, their bench hasn't looked terrible, but it could look better. Um, and you're going to want it to look better. They're currently 18th in offense. Um, and they're going to need to probably have to pick that up. But with the dominance of their defense so far, that's kept them good. Um, what's What's been especially surprising with them is how good um, Dwight Howard has been. Um, he's been a lot better than I expected him to be. He's looks locked in. He looks engaged. He looks like he's doing what they're asking him to do. Um, and if he keeps that up throughout the season, he could be a huge, huge um, turning point for them. Just kind of Dwight Howard being locked into his role and being like, I'm going to do what you brought me here to do. I'm going to play the way you want me to play. And that's all that matters to me. Um, that's certainly a change of pace of what we've seen from Dwight in the past. Um, and given that, um, it, it would be encouraging to see to see Dwight um, be a little bit better and, you know, kind of kind of turns you know this this reputation that's built around him around but be interesting to see how both of these teams progress i do think that the lakers will take a proactive um look at load management for both ad and lebron as the season progresses and we get into the dredges of the season but it may be that they wanted to come out playing hard lebron did say he plans to play every game that he's not hurt we'll see how that we'll see what that looks like going forward he may be on a mission maybe he wants to capture another mvp before he retires um It'll be interesting how that goes. Either way, um, it's exciting to see, uh, I guess, these two Giants back. If you're fans of the old NBA or you're fans of these teams, you like to see both of them at the top of the standings. It's been a while since they've both been up there, since like 2010 uh, when they faced off in the finals. So uh, we'll move on to uh, starting five, number four. Um, that's just kind of the rash of injuries that we've had, especially hand-based injuries lately. Uh, so so it's kind of put a dampener because it's happened to a, a couple, a bunch of stars. So we've got Steph. He broke his hand a couple weeks ago. It, it looks like it's, they announced this week that's probably more severe than they initially thought. looks like Steph likely won't return this season, especially because of the combination of the severity of the hand injury and how bad the Warriors have been to start the season. They have not been great. Um, and with Draymond dealing with an injury and Kavon Looney dealing with an injury, uh, it looks like it's not going to get much better for them. D'Angelo Russell had to miss a game because he was doing he was injured as well. Um, so it looks like things could go from bad to worse for the Warriors, um, except for we'll see how the lottery plays out for them as that could be a huge thing for them. We have Kyle Lowry fracturing his thumb this, uh, this week. He could be out multiple weeks. And then, as mentioned in the earlier segment, Gordon Hayward has fractured his left hand. Um, there's not a timeline set on that one yet, but uh, he's going to see a specialist on Monday and kind of get more information, more results, and then set a timeline. And so this is weird. Um, I just think it's specifically odd and wanted to highlight it because it's three stars, two point guards, um, and they're all primary ball handlers at time times, and they all broke um, their non-shooting hands or, or broke bones in their non-shooting hands, which is super, super weird. Um, I can't recall a time when like we had three stars like this go out go down with extremely similar injuries. Now I don't know, you know, obviously there's like a ton of bones in the hands. Um, my wife goes to med school, um, so when I tell her like someone broke their hand, she's like, she kind of retorted back to me like, well, you don't necessarily break your hand, you break a bone in your hand because, you know, there's a ton of different bones in your hand. And she said there's like 30 or probably more than that, and I'm just like quoting the wrong number um, because the medical stuff goes over my head in, in a lot of ways, but. It's just interesting that they all had, you know, similar hand, broken bone in the hand injuries um, that's going to keep them all out for extended periods of time, which is kind of tough to have um, uh, happen so quickly. And, and to guys that we like watching, you know, uh, Steph is super exciting. Hayward's resurgence has been exciting. Um, Lowry, 
Lowry's a great player. Um, he's fun to watch. He brings he brings a, an energy to the game that a lot of guys don't bring. Um, and the Raptors have been good to see. And certainly him taking a, taking an injury and being out a couple of weeks is going to hurt them because then Siakam has to kind of step up as the the number one the number one option. We'll we'll have to see how they adjust. Uh, we'll move on to the uh, final point of the starting five and the final thing before uh, we get to the last stanza of the pod. Uh, it's going to be a little bit shorter one this week, but um, the last thing I wanted to highlight is just kind of the early season struggles of Portland. Uh, they're three and six right now. They've got a negative one point one point differential. Um, they're not doing great. They're twentieth in defense, eleventh in offense. Their offense is kind of, you know, right there. You know, not not one hundred percent, but it's right on the cusp. Um, right on the cusp of being top ten. You would hope it would be a little bit better. At this time, um, just given you know the thing, what they have, they're sitting at 11th in the West. Not great. Um, when you look up and down the roster, you know Dame doing everything he can. He's got 30. He's got 33 um, points per game, almost 40% from three. Um, but we've got a slow start from D- from CJ McCollum. He's he's got 19 points per game. He's shooting well from the free throw line, but only 39% from two, only 32% from three. His effective field goal percentage is 42%. You know, not not looking great elsewhere. Uh, Whiteside has been fine, but you can clearly see he's not giving them exactly uh, what you would want. You know, he doesn't, specifically when you watch games, he, he's not as much of a threat rolling because he can't really make plays on the backside. So uh, other teams can recover faster when he sets these super high screens, which is where Lillard likes him. He's not a threat until he gets into the paint, and so teams don't have to really worry about him as much. He doesn't make contact. He's not as, as savvy of a screen setter as Nurkic was, as Nurkic is. So that makes it tough. Um, they've had they've got Zach Collins go down with an injury that'll sideline him a couple months. He had to have surgery on his shoulder, which is always tough. Um, they've got this limited uh, rotation of like threes and fours. You're seeing Hazonia, Anthony Tolliver get significant minutes. Nasir Little hasn't looked great yet. Um, the one bright spot is Anthony Simons looks really good as a second year player. Um, but it's just, it's tough. Um, this, I, I just kind of, even though the Trailblazers did have some, some guys leaving, you know, they n- n- no longer have Mo Harkless and Aminu. I thought they brought back most of their team. They'd kind of have it figured out and be able to approximate what we got from them last year until Nurkic came back, um, from injury and just kind of figure it out. They ha- just, ha- they have, they haven't looked great. They've had a lot of tough games. Um, and I think they're going to need to find a way to, to figure things out, you know, um, the West is going to be super competitive this year, especially with some teams like Phoenix, like Dallas, who are playing well and getting wins and bagging wins now. Um, you know, falling and losing wins, especially against easier easier teams, doesn't um, isn't going to put you in a good position just because of where it's going to sit you at times, and it's going to put you in trouble. Uh, going forward, and you just, you don't want that. You need to you need to bank wins when you can get them, uh, and kind of go from there. Uh, I have mentioned on previous podcasts that I think that um, Portland is kind of is apt in one of the top options to make a move, and I definitely think um, that they will make a move sooner rather than later. I think Kevin Love is someone they'll look at. Maybe if they want to go for someone with a lesser price, maybe Danilo Gallinari. If the uh, Thunder are open to moving him and don't ask too high of a price. It's just they need help in the 3-4 position. They need something there, um, and it's going to take a move to get somebody, and they're probably going to have to 
package some draft assets and some young players and some salary match. It's gonna it's gonna take a combination of things, but um, they're a team that they've got they've got Dame. CJ's gonna kind of get it going at some point. So they're gonna they're gonna improve. This is I don't think this cold start's gonna continue um, for long, but. I still think they're going to need to make a move to just kind of put them in a better position. Um, you just don't want to find yourself, you know, going from the Western Conference Finals, looking solid last year, giving people extensions to, you know, missing the playoffs or dropping and being like the 7-8 seed um, the year after. It's just It would just be a tough situation to be in and um, really hard to bounce from. And, you know, the injuries are, you know, the injuries have to be mentioned and have to play a factor, but you got to be proactive about um adjusting for those injuries and staying competitive on the fly but um, I wanted to highlight that um, it surprised me I definitely thought they would be better they'd come out of the gate stronger just given some of the continuity stuff at play versus some other teams that had lesser continuity um, and continuity usually contributes to coming out of the gate well um, but uh, with that I'll wrap up the starting five and main portion of the podcast this week like I said it was going to be a shorter one but instead of doing a hot take this week um, I just want to do kind of an announcement uh, so the Tickle of Twine, um, doing this podcast for a couple years now, um, I've got a lot of my guests are guys I'm friends with, um, huge basketball um, fans, they all binge the NBA like me, um, they contribute to this, and we kind of want to make this into something more, so kind of we're looking to uh, move forward, and we're getting ready to launch a website uh, to go along with the podcast, you'll be able to go to the website. Uh, listen to the podcast on the website and kind of read articles from us. We're going to have kind of two kinds of articles on there. Uh, we're going to have deeper dive type stuff um, like what I do on the pod when I bring in numbers and analysis. Um, especially we're going to launch the site with a deep dive into just studying and finding who's the most efficient scorer of all time. The uh, top three, top four might not surprise you, but then after that, there's some surprises in the top ten, at least some surprises to me. We used a couple different statistical methods to get a good idea uh, who exactly would be, who exactly should be talked about in the most efficient scores conversation? Um, and there's some young players in there too that, um, in their uh, first couple seasons, have kind of made themselves known and are going to rise. So look, that's going to be interesting. Um, we've got some contributors with some great ideas, talking about some keep getting them, them checks, all stars, stuff like that, highlighting players who are playing well. Um, and so it's going to be a site that's a combination of these deep dive analysis, some good narrative-driven um, articles and content, um, some kind of more fun stuff, uh, more for tongue-in-cheek, like I said, the keep getting them checks guys, people who might be overpaid or you know stealing money, or like Charles Barkley said about Hassan Whiteside, their top skill is going to the bank every two weeks and stealing money. Um, it's kind of have a little bit of everything. You know, There's a lot of places to go uh, for good basketball content, but if you like the kind of stuff that Tickle the Twine is bringing... Uh, on the podcast, I think you'll love what we're going to do with the website. You're going to get more than just me. Um, we're going to try and have a diverse uh, group of guys giving, a diverse group of people giving opinions. You know, um, that's kind of what I've tried to go f- go for is people who have, um, you know, I know all of them and I've met all of them, but we're all not the same. Um, we've had different experiences as we've grown up. You know, we all work in different industries and we bring the experience and industries that we've gotten into how we're talking about the NBA and I think that makes a difference you know um, it kind of breaks out of the group thing sometimes so check it out um, we're, we're planning to launch tomorrow um, on Monday it's just going to be ticklethetwine.co um, and it's going to be uh, linked everywhere all over the Twitter and the socials and so we're super excited about it but 
Um, thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, subscribe. Check out um, the website when it starts. Uh, keep listening. Share us with your friends. And we will talk to you guys next week. Peace.